Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome, coaches, to another edition of the Surge Strength Podcast. Okay, so we've had a bunch of podcasts in a row. That is not normal, and it's not going to be normal going forward either. This was just kind of a celebration of our website finally being live and all the coaches that have been working their way through the certification and all the new coaches that have joined us in the past week or so. So we're going to settle into one episode a week probably going forward, and it'll probably be on Thursday. Pretty sure that's going to be our standard flow. And just like the other episodes so far, it'll be a quick intro by me, and then we'll do an Inside the Surge Strength Academy. So that could be whether it's a study session or a straight lesson from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. And then there's also going to be that Dryland Talk segment where I'm going to talk Dryland with someone else, and we'll probably have rotating guests and different ones like that. But that just gives you a sense of the show going forward. So make sure you're on the lookout for every Thursday for a new episode of the Surge Strength Podcast. So remember, if you're listening to this the day it releases, you still have until midnight tonight, Thursday, July 30th, to enroll in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification and save $100 in the process by using the code SSDC, the same initials that you'll be able to have after your last name once you are Dryland Certified. So remember, don't miss out on that tonight. And you can enroll by going to surge-strength dot com scroll down to the academy section and then click on become dryland certified inside the surge strength academy on this edition of the inside the surge strength academy we're going to go again straight to the surge strength dryland certification so this is one of the lessons coming right out of there again once you're in the course it is a audio visual dual thing. There's video to go along with it. So if I reference any of those, just remember once you're in the course, you get access to all that, including the downloads and other things that are part of the certification curriculum. So just another heads up on that. Let's jump into the lesson. Foundational athletic qualities is the topic that I'll be covering now. When you think about surge strength, we want to go and start at the root of it all, and that's movement. From movement, Strength is the next priority because strength dictates how much power and how much endurance you can develop. Let's first start with movement, though, because, again, that sets the stage for all other characteristics that we ultimately end up developing in a surge strength program. Movement in particular dictates all characteristic success in the long term, I believe, because If you're a poor mover, at some point, you're either at a higher chance of injury or just overuse, or you're going to be put in just a compromised position one too many times. So overall, if I had the choice, I would work on movement and therefore technique when we're doing exercises first and foremost. I don't care about how much weight is being moved, how many reps, volume, rest, any of those other things. I focus on technique first, and that's because in terms of the foundational characteristics, that's what I think you should value first above all else. Now let's jump into the rest of the pyramid. So 
as you can see, strength is the base here. And why that is, is because if you look at the definitions of strength, power, and endurance, which people throw around interchangeably all the time, and that's simply not the case. Strength is not power, endurance is not strength. They do not mean the same thing. They play off of each other and they are related to each other, but they are not the same thing. So let's break down the definitions really quickly here. Strength is the ability to exert force. Power is the rate at which force is exerted, and endurance is the duration of a rate of force. So you can see force is the common factor in all of these three elements. So therefore, if we can increase strength, if you can have a wider base in this pyramid by developing the strength characteristic, a wider base of a pyramid then allows the pyramid to go higher. That's your power, that's your endurance characteristics. So while a lot of times people wanna focus on the end result, I need more power, I need more endurance, I need to last longer, I need to be more powerful. They skip the foundational element, which is first movement, number one, are you moving well so then you can train. Then once you're training, working on developing strength will ultimately allow you to have a higher ceiling of both power and endurance. And we'll get that into more depth later on. But strength is really, quote unquote, the mother of all qualities. If you wanna increase power, if you wanna increase endurance, work on strength first. And then that will allow you to more easily develop power and endurance. If all you're doing is working on power day in and day out, and you never touch a strength characteristic or do a strength type of workout, you're kind of spinning your wheels in a sense and wasting you and your athletes time as well. With power and endurance, they're ultimately gonna be capped by what is the strength characteristic. So even let's fast forward to swimming and get really specific here of what you're trying to get out of it. Sprinters always want more power. They wanna be powerful off the blocks. They wanna be fast in and out of the walls. Distant swimmers obviously want to be able to maintain as long as possible. So swimming obviously values both parts. Sprinters want the power, the distance wants the endurance. And historically, when it comes to dry land, a lot of times even distance swimmers say, hey, you don't need dry land. Just go out there, get some more volume, swim some more laps. Only the sprinters need to be in the weight room. And I really think that was a mistake in the long term because both athletes can benefit from dry land training, whether it's strength-focused, power, or endurance. And here's why. Because when we really break down the events of swimming, everybody needs all the qualities. The truest sprinting event in swimming is the 50 freestyle. And even in yards, it's 17 plus seconds. That's more than double the amount of time of a true power event. So there's obviously some amount of endurance characteristics that even a drop dead 50 freestyler needs. If you look at the middle distance, the times that are being put up in the 400 meters, 500 yards freestyle, and even the IMs of that distance is just insane. There, It's really repeated sprints, and who can just sprint the longest really is what those events are turning into, especially on the world record level for the 400 free. So you need, in the, in the middle distance, you need a good combo of both the power and the endurance if you wanna compete at that level. 
And then if we go to the other end of the spectrum, the endurance side, with a 1500 plus, the mile, the 10K, open water events, they're swimming really, really fast for a long time and being able to maintain it. So I don't really think that you can put any event, stroke, or person in a box where you say, okay, they only swim the 50 freestyle, all we need to do is power. If you do, believe you're shortchanging yourself and you're not ultimately going to develop the power that you can because you miss out on what's the base, what's the underlying part. Have you addressed the movement? Have you addressed the strength? And then start to work on the power. So don't get ahead of yourself. Understand the foundational athletic qualities, movement first, followed by strength. Then that allows you to ultimately develop power and endurance. Dryland Talk. On this edition of Dryland Talk, we bring Jason Marini back, our Dryland Educational Specialist, to just continue our conversation about Dryland. And we go down to some of the topics that really popped out to Jason as he's going through the Surge Strength Dryland certification. So great stuff. And remember, if you have questions about the Surge Strength Dryland certification, email Jason, Jason at RitterSP.com. He'll answer all your questions. He's our point man on the Ritter team for all that stuff. And again, he's working with a lot of clubs and coaches right now onboarding their staff so that everyone on staff can be dryland certified and continue to raise the standard of what dryland training is in swimming. So reach out to Jason if you have any questions on that. And let's jump into our conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to another dryland talk on the Surge Strength Podcast. Here joined again with Jason Marini, our Dryland Educational Specialist with Ritter. Jason, welcome back. Hey, good to be here. Good chat last time. I love that we have now coined the baby antelope term. I'm going to remember that, and I think that's a great... Of course, I, I do. <laughs> it's a great visual for other coaches. Um, yeah, so while we were talking about it, I think I wanted to know a little more about what was the impetus uh, for the surge strength dryland certification course. Um, to me, there's not a lot of, uh, it's not often that someone comes up with a new idea anymore. You know what I mean? Like top gun Two. Jason, you already got the job. You can stop flattery now. It's okay. (laughs) True. Like there really hasn't been the only other way to get a cert like this was to literally go to college. Um, get a kines degree, take Mm -hmm. this, CS course, so five hundred dollars is a pretty good deer compared to a hundred grand <laughs> um, the other way. Uh, so there really hasn't been anything like this teaching coaches how to be a strength coach as well as a swim coach. So mm-hmm. start of this. Yeah, and I think it's kind of ironic now too because um, I went to college, got my degree, exercise science, kinesiology, and then immediately got certifications coming out of college and got into personal training, strength conditioning, all that. And then I kind of got to a point where I didn't care about certifications almost at all because, (laughs) so I think it's ironic that now I have created a certification (laughs) after coming from that. But it's coming from a, a point of, I think where I got to as a professional was, um, honestly, a lot of certifications weren't helping me right? Like it was, it was a lot of, you know, Hey, here's the newest, latest thing. And it really wasn't, it was, Oh, okay. That's just that repackage. You know, I already knew that. 
Um, and of course, you always want to learn, but I felt like in the personal training and strength and conditioning world, it really just got overtaken by anybody and everybody was coming out with this new certification, this new that, just, you know, chasing CEUs. And it's kind of funny to think you look at the swim coaching world, and I know I've talked to a number of swim coaches, they say, what's a CEU? <laughs> so, well, so, it's a continuing education unit. And I had to continue to get those to keep my certification, to keep my professional liability insurance. And so that was kind of baked into the process. So I thought about that and it'd been on my mind for a while, honestly, but then I always came back to, well, you know, I'm the guy that didn't really want to do certs anyway. So like, why am I going to create one? And I think, you know, for better, for worse with, with COVID there, that tipping point when we first did those, that six weeks of the webinars and it was just overwhelmingly like people were like, this is amazing. And I have this conversation with you all the time, Jason, of like, I kind of forget what I know. <laughs> and then when I talk to coaches, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, that's sorry. That's really simple. I'm, I, I forget that. And so just putting that all together, I'm thinking what better time than now to put something together specific for some coaches, specific of, I'm not assuming you have a background in exercise science or kinesiology. And so you know, in some ways I'm trying to like trim off the fat. So I, I know a couple times, like in the certain, I, I'm sure you've watched some at, at this point where I say, Hey, look, I'm, I know there's a lot more to this and I'm not going to do this in depth because this is not a bachelor's degree, right? Like I'm giving you exactly what I think you need to know to help your swimmers to run a dryland program. So we're just skipping that. If you want to Google that, you know, knock yourself out. I'm sure there are more YouTube videos. So I'm trying to help coaches understand exactly what, what they need to know practically to help them on land. And I think in some ways it's going to translate into the water because training's training, right? Like even though it's on land or in the water, it's still the principles of strength and conditioning, which is one of the whole modules, right? Like how, how do you train the body? How do you get it to adapt? And we talk about even at the cellular level, some pretty surprising things I don't think a lot of swim coaches think about. And it even goes against common, you know, swim coach think about who should do dry land or what types and things like that. Um, and I think the response to the search so far, you know, we almost have a hundred coaches now enrolled worldwide. We barely have a website up now. <laughs> you know, like we launched this thing before we even had a website. I said, all right, you know, guys, here's the course. We'll kind of build it as we go. So the fact that we already are at that point and the, the website is like, you know, unleashed a, a week ago that I think it's just reassuring that we're going in the right direction. And my thought is just how can we help the swimming community? And let's face it, for better or for worse, it's going to be like this for a while in terms of smaller groups, less water time. And so for the next year plus, I feel like dry land, if you don't have a handle on it, it's going to show in your swimmers. And on the other hand, if you do have dry land locked down and, and you have a good program and you're not cobbling it together, your swimmers are going to take off. And in some ways, it's just going to be, they're resting a little bit more and you're going to realize, wow, maybe I don't need as much water time, which is you know, kind of one of the things we talked about the last time you were on, Jason, about the winter trip and not getting to do doubles in the water, but then they ended up having the best season ever. I think a lot of coaches that have dry land down or are going through the cert right now, they're going to realize, wow, this is one of the better seasons, even with all these obstacles and extra things they got to jump through. Yeah. You said something in there I want to, I still like want to get a clearer picture on um, about changes at the cellular level. Mm -hmm. So my quick story on this, this was probably 10 years ago now. Um, I went to a, whatever the big national coaches convention is in Vegas. 
Um, and the first session where, you know, probably people listening that were there, <laughs> a couple of famous coaches got up and talked about what's important and aerobic based from a young age. And this, mm-hmm. and we see that in common with all the Olympic team, this and that we break for lunch. We come back in the afternoon and Dave Salo from USC talks. And he's kind of going over his coaching philosophy and what they do. And a coach raises his hand out of a crowd of like three, 400 people. And he's like, it kind of sounds like you're disagreeing with what the two guys this morning said. <laughs> and Salo was very good. He's like, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to like create an argument here. But then he kind of gets into, um, you know, he goes, we're talking about, heart rate zones and aerobic this and aerobic, aerobic, aerobic. And he goes, that's not what it is. He goes, we're talking about changes at a cellular level. And that has stuck with me for 10 years, that quote. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really know what it meant. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's interesting. But what does that mean? So this is where this course is great. And I think where you're a great resource, like explaining to someone without a kinesiology degree what does he mean by that? Like changes at the cellular level? Yes. So there's definitely, I know a number of lessons and and even modules diving into this. And I remember at one point I say, Hey, you know, here's the Krebs cycle. I'm not going to explain it. I'm not going to ask you to memorize it. I had to (laughs) go through my degree. But what I think coaches kind of forget is, you know, like Sailor said, it's, it's really at the cellular level, what changes we're trying to get even though at the end of the day, as a coach, you're looking at the watch, you're looking at the technique, you know, you're looking at all those things. And those are more the finished product of what you're actually trying to do. And too often you get caught up in what you can see, right? And what you, okay, I I can see that we got a second faster. They're able to hold this. And so then your focus gets that and you maybe forget what's because of what you're doing at the cellular level. And I think one of the biggest things, um, and even I was a little bit honestly surprised at the more I dug into it for the cert is we obviously hear about the aerobic base being so important, but I don't think any or very few some coaches out there realize that strength training actually increases the aerobic capacity of swimmers, of any athlete. It moves because you're born for, with a certain amount of uh, type two and type one fibers. And I'm going off the head, so I'm not going <laughs> to remember all this stuff. So you can watch the lesson for it. It completely accurate. But basically when you do strength training, there are some percentage of fibers that can move one way or another based on any type of training that you do. And let's say you're just sprinting all day. Let's say you're just doing endurance, whatever you're doing from an aerobic standpoint, it can change the fibers. And what happens is a lot of the fibers rely on mitochondria So it's more that oxidative system and how it's getting energy as opposed to the fast switch, which are much more like the CP or the glycolysis in terms of getting energy. So basically those three ways, pathways for energy, from shortest to longest in terms of how long it takes to ramp up, how much energy you're getting. But with the oxidative state, it's reliant on how much mitochondria is at the cellular level and doing strength training actually shifts the cells and the muscular fibers to be more adaptative to that. And that's exactly what you want. If you're thinking about, I want to build the aerobic base. And so I just think that that blows a lot of swim coaches minds to realize, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to save strength training for college because I don't care about the aerobic base. Yeah. Like, imagine if, if, if that's what you're saying. You can't, you can't have one without the other. Absolutely. 
And, and again, I'm not saying, hey, the 10 and 11-year-olds need to back squat two times their body weight. That's not what I'm saying. But even if you just did a little bit, it's kind of tying in back to what we talked about, just having them move well, even just doing some quote-unquote reasonable weights, right? Like not even approaching a body weight type of proficiency, that actually is going to help them long-term with nailing down the technique. Because I remember that's another thing as a strength coach, I knew it's going to take me at least six to eight weeks when I was training in more of what we call semi-private training where I had, you know, four or six people at a time. I knew when I had a new client that did not have a background in lifting, it was going to take me six to eight weeks of constant coaching to get it to the point where I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good. Like not watching every rep when you're squatting. Yeah. And again, that's in me, you know, one to four, one to six ratio. Any college is not having that ratio. And if they are, you're really, really lucky because you have a lot of grad assistants or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's just so many benefits to strength training. I think coaches don't understand, but if they even know a little bit of exercise science, some of these things are really going to resonate with them when they're going through these lessons and realizing, oh, so here's yet even another reason why I should value dry land. Because of course I want them to have a better aerobic base or a bigger aerobic engine. Who doesn't want that? It's just more of late we've talked about what's the cost benefit to that, right? Like, do you want to get 100,000 yards in this week to get the aerobic engine? Is that the best way to do it? Or are there better ways? I think that's really what the argument is about. It's not about is the aerobic base needed or not. It's more about how you're going through it. And I can't imagine a better way than creating a whole all-around athlete and you're helping the aerobic engine, like why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. I think for me, and I think this is a good, I can have it like, as a coach that does not understand how mitochondria work, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my degree was in anthropology and later on in management. So I, I've learned all this the same way most of these coaches are learning it. Like, mm -hmm through podcasts and going to clinics and going to camps and learning from guys like you. Um, I always tried to think of it. So while I was at Brockport, we were probably one of the very first teams in the country to commit to USRPT as a training method. Mm -hmm. um, and before half the coaches turn off the podcast, like just hear me out. Delaware. <laughs> one thing I learned committing to it, um, it, I didn't know how polarizing it was when we started. <laughs> I just thought it sounded like a good idea and, and, and it made sense to me. I didn't realize that half the coaches that read that were like insulted and didn't want to listen to it. Um, so we started to call it neuromuscular training because just saying the phrase USRPT was too controversial. And I've explained it to coaches that like are cold to it. I was like, well, HIT training, H-I-I-T, was already taken. Um, if, you know, if there's anything I don't like, USRPT is not a great acronym mm -hmm. and long. And as soon as you start with the word ultra short, <laughs> half the coaches have turned, tuned you out. Right. But we call it neuromuscular training. So when I was training, I really didn't think about, we didn't have aerobic zones. I really didn't, on, on occasion we did, but that was maybe once or twice a week. I really thought about it in terms of the neuromuscular system. How is the brain and the central nervous system and the muscles learning this pattern, this butterfly pattern, whatever, mm -hmm. and learning to do it fast? 
And that's how I thought of it. And it's not that the aerobic portion isn't important. It is. But I promise you, if you're doing 20, 50 flies at race pace, their heart rate is maxed out for 20 minutes. I guarantee, feel free to take it. You know what I mean? Um, I, the heart rate's going to happen anyway. But really, I think we neglect this idea of we're making changes at the cellular level, and what are we doing to train the neuromuscular system? Mm-hmm. Well, Jason, I don't know if you've ever put the, uh, these uh, dots together, connecting them, but you just explaining that, and I've heard it a couple times from you in just conversations we've had throughout the years, that reminded me of when we first met at Stanford, when Richard Quick talked about how Misty, he- Misty Hyman trained to win that 200 fly in Sydney, and that she had not done long course, and she was just doing short course repeats on fly, because in his mind, he wanted the technique to hold, yeah. and she wasn't able to hold it for long reps on long course, so he's like, so we're going to go short course. And she ends up, you know, having one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history and a best time, you know. And, and so that, that's through that same vein of him, you know, thinking like you, well, what do I want the byproduct to be? What do I want the finished product to look like? It's good technique. It's hitting these paces. So she can't do it 50 meters long course on repeats. So we need to shorten it up so that she can do it. Richard was the first time I had heard about doing butterfly in the diving well. And, and that Jenny Thompson did fly in the diving well. He had all these great stories. Um, yeah, that's probably, if we go back to then, that's probably where this line of thought, thought for both of us started from. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, that's good. What other stuff has struck you? I know a couple things. As you're going through the cert, just like a lot of other coaches are, you know, and, and you're keeping notes and, and letting me know of things that pop up to you, which is great, kind of reassuring to me that <laughs> someone has been coaching as long as you – and has been interested in dryland. So again, it's not like you haven't been doing dryland and all these things are popping up, but you've, you've known that dryland is an important part. I'm curious, what other stuff has popped up to you as you're working through the cert right now? There's a lot of, <coughs> excuse me. I was surprised at how many new things there were. Um, you know, the first thing I think I messaged you is I'm taking, cause I'm not only selling the course, I'm taking it myself right now. Right. Um, that I've been doing the hinge moves wrong. <laughs> for the, what's and, that <laughs> and, and i've been they I, I make my hinges look like squats and for the first time that's been corrected and i mean i've been at this point fairly experienced with lifting and have still learned a lot um <clears throat> the term thoracic extension stuck out to me right mm. away. i i understood that i don't think i really understood how it worked i just thought of it as like if your kid is too tight in the pecs and the lats, they can't do a proper butter, butterfly press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but really going in depth into thoracic extension, and that can only really be corrected on land. Mm-hmm. More reps in the pool is probably only going to make that worse. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's what I think, you know, I think, oh, I forget where I was writing it. Maybe it was an email out to, to some people about the certification, but saying, hey, look, it was a blog post I think uh, I was putting up, but about, if you're a coach and you're trying to make a stroke change, especially around something that requires mobility, like, you know, butterfly arms, like where, where you're recovering from or the angle of attack or something like that. If the swimmer doesn't have the mobility, you can talk about being blue in the face, showing them all these videos, showing all this stuff, and you're still going to be frustrated. And the reason is because they can't. <laughs> and the swimmer's going to be frustrated too, because they're thinking I'm trying, but I, I can't. 
So you're exactly right. If you're not allowing them on land to get that required mobility, everybody's going to be frustrated and, and you're never going to get the result you're looking for. I got those kids all the time in college who would say, oh, I can't swim butterfly. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do this stroke. Well, no one's ever corrected what needed to be corrected for you to be able to swim it. You weren't born with an inability to do breaststroke or butterfly. You probably just have a mobility issue that's never been corrected. Mm-hmm. That, that reminds me of the story I think we had talked about maybe sharing about the swimmer that got better just doing PT. Yeah. Um, Chase Carson, who is now in PT school. So, <laughs> that's great. No, I dropped his name. Um, he was from Kennesaw, Georgia, and came all the way to New York to school. And was one of my first, like, out-of-state kids who came to a school he never heard of kind of thing. Um, he's now in physical therapy uh, school, and <clears throat> he had a, a nagging, like, shoulder injury in high school. Took three or four months out of the pool, went to physical therapy, rehabbed it, rehabbed it, did all this strength training um, to get it better, came back, was in the water a week, had best time. And like that was when the light bulb popped off for the kid and probably how we connected. You know what I mean? If you're mm-hmm. trying to come to a school they've never heard of to do USRPT, you got to find those gems. You know what I mean? Like they're not signing up in mass to do that. Um, but I think when a kid goes through that experience or an experience like that, that's when they open up to dry land and the importance. Um, he just had an injury and probably like a strength deficit mm-hmm. could not be corrected in the pool. Yeah. And was th- out for three months and came back and had the best times. And that's what he was sold on. How in- And now the kid is going to be a physical therapist <laughs> himself. Um, so yeah, I think for some kids, if you've got a swimmer who is plateaued um, or is just like maybe has a nagging injury or, mm-hmm. or, or like if you can't find the answer in the pool, it's probably time to look towards dry land for what you can do to make that kid better. You know, if you have a kid that cannot do the correct press and butterfly, no matter how many times you explain it, they probably aren't physically able to, and that yeah. needs to be corrected on land. Yeah. And you're silly as a coach to keep thinking if I just say it a few more times or if I say it a different way, you know, that they're going to be able to magically change. Like you need to allow your athletes. That's the whole point of like, we want to empower coaches, give them the information to actually raise the standard of what their dryland looks like. It's not just, Hey, let's just go get sweaty. Great. We did dryland. Check that off the list. Like dryland can help you look like a better coach. <laughs> you know, it really can. Um, the other part of the course um, that we've talked about is I'd really think it'd be great if we released the, the one clip on dryland through the years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put that on the YouTube channel. Yeah, you tell me about that. You know, it starts off with a picture of Mark Spitz and his six medals. But really looking back at it now, it looks like your next door neighbor has six medals. <laughs> he doesn't – watch, he's, this is going to get word. I'm going to get that by a famous athlete. But he doesn't look like today's athletes. You know what I mean? He, he was fit, but he wasn't – he didn't look like LeBron. Um, and then you see, you know, Phelps from his first Olympics to mm-hmm. his last. And now you get to Dressel, who does look like LeBron. You know what I mean? Um, our sport has changed dramatically in the past few years. And the best athletes are now taking over. You know, it's not just being the best swimmer. It really is 
the best athletes are the ones that are going to shine. Yeah, and we're releasing this on, you know, what should have been at Tokyo 2020 and probably seeing Katie Ledecky and, and Caleb Dressel, you know, light it up and win some golds. And both of them, I would say, the best male-female swimmers in the world. And I don't think it's by happenstance that Dryland plays a huge part in their program. You know, especially someone like Ledecky, the, the distance swimmer, right? She's still, a lot of the time, I think still, I'm not sure, you know, exactly the last few months, but the majority of her career swam one day or one time a day and then made sure Dryland was an integral part of that, you know, as the best miler, <laughs> you know, 800 freestyler in the world, not even close second. I use that a lot. The, the best distance swimmer we've ever seen, and the answer is she's, is not that she's doing more yardage than anyone's attempted before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's, it's challenging and it's a lot. It's not more than most of her peers have been doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And not that she has peers anymore. Um, but I would say, yeah, that's the difference. Um, I think she just pulls harder than women before her have. I mean, flat out is producing more force in the pole. And on land is where you're going to develop that force. And we talked about that in the course. That like, Look, swimming, you know, moving your hand through that liquid, it really doesn't take that much. And so even, you know, if you're swimming with a t-shirt or even, you know, pulling racks sometimes, like those things can help, but only so much, you know, like, I don't know how heavy those racks can get, like maybe 50, 90 pounds, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's still not nearly as much as you can do on land. And so you're still limited in terms of what's the highest level we can excite these muscle fibers, these motor units, and then allow you as a swimmer to have, okay, I have that much more capacity to put to use in the water. That's another good one there. The idea of exciting uh, the muscle fibers, exciting the motor units mm. and having coaches think of that as much as we think of aerobic or volume or distance. Yeah. It, it's, it's an equal, equal part. And if we're not focusing on it, we're, we're really missing half of the, the puzzle there. No. Awesome. Jason, this has been great. I know we have more stuff on the list, but you'll be coming back on the podcast soon enough. And we'll chat about more. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. Where can people email you in case they have questions about the certification? Because I know you're getting on calls with coaches, kind of talking to them about, you know, hey, if you want your whole staff, you know, we can have a discount for that and things like that. So let people know how they can get a hold of you if they have questions about the certification process. You can start at jason at rittersp.com. Did I do my email right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like looking to see if I have it written. <laughs> um, it's brand new, but you could start there and I'm using my personal cell. So anybody that emails me there, any coaches curious about the course, um, or you just want to chat, um, I'll, I'll give out my personal cell when we're, when we're emailing and we, and we could talk. Cool. Awesome. Jason, thanks so much. We'll have you back on the podcast soon. Thanks, man. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.